Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. So here we are in the bottom of the ninth inning. Two outs and running first base. Mark Knutson, the tall right-hander, trying to nail this one down. He has thrown a gem to this point. Eight and two-thirds innings, giving up just three hits and looking for his fourth complete game for the speed and perhaps to secure his 15th victory. He's got a 3-1 to one lead here in the bottom of the ninth, but at the plate is the guy who has two of those hits, Manny Randawa. A single to center and a double to right so far. Knutson into his windup. Here's the pitch, and he throws a fastball right by Randawa for strike one. Randawa a bit tardy on that swing. Now we're ready for the next pitch. The windup, and here it comes. There's a swing and a long one. Into the gap in right center field, way back towards the wall. It's off the wall. Bichette can't get there. He's chasing it down, and out of nowhere comes Ellis Burke. He'll get to the ball first. The run's going to score. Randawa is around second. He's digging for three. Here comes the throw from Burks. It's going to be close. Here's the slide. It's it's the park-adjusted Rockies podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Mark Knudsen and Manny Randawa. Change hasn't always been something the Colorado Rockies were ready to embrace. But perhaps that's changing. Already this offseason, there's a new hitting coach and several roster shakeups. The youth movement appears to be rolling. This week on the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast, we're joined by the one and only Ryan Spielborgs, who shares his opinions and insights on the role of the hitting coach, the Rockies roster needs, and the implementation of the youth movement. Spilly's got plenty to say. Don't miss it. We're back after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out Stoney'sBarandGrill.com. Well, Manny, change is always a good thing if you're if you're talking about a last place baseball team. In the past, the Colorado Rockies have been a little hesitant to make changes, at least wholesale changes, big changes. I'm sensing, I don't know how you feel, I'm sensing a little bit of change in that regard. I'm sensing, you know, we've, we've cleared some spots on the 40-man roster now. they got a new hitting coach. Maybe they are going to make some changes. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when Bam Bam Mullins was hired as the hitting coach, I mean, it's not like, it's not like they haven't gone outside the organization for hitting coaches before. I mean, Dave Magadan was an right. outside hire, but just the general feeling around this club is it's very insular and that it, they don't do that. So I think that was really an encouraging thing. And I think a lot of people were just observers were kind of a little surprised and 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 yeah. happy because they got a guy with a track record of having been on teams that have won, won it all, the Giants, for example. And um, so, yeah, that was really interesting. Tomorrow's a non-tender deadline. So I think it'll be interesting to see and our guest today might have some insight into into what might happen with that. We got the great Ryan Spielborgs, of course. Uh, Spilly himself joins us. Thank you, Spilly, for joining us. And let's just start there, man. What do you think about Hansley Mullins and uh, the early direction of this offseason? Uh, I mean, as far as Bam Bam's concerned with Hensley, love the guy. Um, this is somebody that I think comes with a really good track record. Uh, you know, he's been trying to become a major league manager for quite some time. So he sees the game in a, in a different way. He also brings... Um, you know, the ability to communicate to our Latin American players, which that is a skill set that I think is really important, um, just given the landscape of, of how many Latin American players there are and, and just how much hitting and hitting philosophies and, and the overall um, 
you know, linguistics of, of how we talk hitting has, has, you know, kind of progressed over time too. So I'm, I'm looking forward to somebody like Bam Bam. He's also, he's been on some winning teams with the giants. He's, he's played in, in Colorado uh, as a visiting, uh, you know, hitting coach. So I, I think you might bring a, a little bit of, of a different perspective. I also, the, the hitting position, hitting coach job is the worst job for any coach in in Major League Baseball, it is by far the worst. Like and in general, we're sick. not just talking about Colorado. We're talking in general. In general, it is a thankless job. Uh, I'll give you an example. You have how many hitters in a lineup? Nine. How many times do, does every hitter in the lineup? Well, it depends get a hit? on how you define hitter, but yes. <laughs> how many? How many times does every hitter in the lineup get a hit? Yeah, uh, if they're lucky, one out of three, right? Okay, so that's assuming everyone's a three hundred hitter. Okay, yeah. so every single night. A hitting coach has to deal with multiple players that went over, over mm-hmm. three, over four, two strikeouts. Uh, the worry of of having to get sent down, get released. Hitting is the hardest thing in the world to do, and even on the best night, a team might score ten runs and you win ten to one. There might be two or three hitters in that clubhouse that feel like trash at the end of the game. So um, that gives you kind of like the idea of like you're dealing with a negative result-oriented business and as a as a hitting coach that's why you see more turnover in hitting coaches than any other position you don't see it with bullpen catchers or bullpen coaches or pitching coaches or even even managers in the last couple years we've seen a high rate of turnover but not at the level of a hitting coach so um i always preface that you know like as much as you look at uh, hitting coaches that is a job that is is really really difficult is it now are are hitting coaches on hotter seats than the hot seat now because of the era of hitting that we're in with all the strikeouts and the the three true outcomes do they get a shorter a shorter kind of leash on in the sense of there's just not as much tolerance for them because in mark's time no when he, when he looked at it on the other end he saw a lot of guys <laughs> hitting and he could probably tell you didn't look that they were hard. doing just fine for themselves yeah no uh i would say it's not that hitting coaches are on the hot seat it's more that hitting coaches get burnout uh, there oh, are okay. so many mm. youtube hitting gurus out there oh. that you know work with players during the off season and then they're <laughs> they basically you know adjust their swing towards you know cage flips or uh, pitching machines and then when you get into the season where are the hitting gurus you know like who do you fall back on you know i've i've talked to many many hitting instructors where there's a frustration where uh, players don't get the buy-in that they need from that uh hitting you know like the actual guy that's going to be with you in the grind over the course of the year and they you know they they go back to um, somebody that spent three months with them in a controlled environment or, you know, somebody with the outside perspective that's not watching every single day or has the same information of, you know, biomechanics or, you know, somebody hit a, a foul ball off their back foot. And so now their back ankle uh, is less stable. So they're not able to get in their legs as much. There's just so much that goes into the day-to-day of a hitter that it becomes really frustrating for a hitting coach. And, and I've talked to so many of these guys and it's the same thing where I'm trying to give you the information, man, but you keep going back to somebody that's that's basing your swing off a controlled environment. Like, that doesn't work. That's a huge point. That doesn't work. That's like... Well, you said something like to me one time. A, yeah. you, said, you said something to me one time that was so enlightening, um, and it was in the dugout. It was when Ian Desmond was on the roster, and I was talking about launch angle, and you kind of overheard, and you're asking me, 
you know, you're talking to Desi, trying to get him to do the launch angle. Thing. I was like, I'm not trying to get him to do it, but I'm, I want to ask him because it's a legitimate question given all his ground ball rate and everything. Then you said, all right, you broke it down. You're like, I, the 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 launch angle, launch angle is an angle off the bat. It's not a swing. And you, you're exactly right. And until we teach in every, however you want to break up the strike zone in terms of quadrants or, or sectors or whatever you want to do, we need to teach based on the pitch and the location what swing is going to produce a specific specific launch angle. And until we can do that, what are we even doing? That was a great point and great insight. Why is it that, from your perspective, that we everybody wants to make it a launch angle into a swing rather than what it is, which is a launch angle? I think it's because it's a, it's a catchy phrase. And I think so many people that are trying to... Uh, hitting is really hard to understand. There, there are so many dynamics to it, being on time, uh, you know, being able to pick up a, a pitch, knowing how your body works. My arms are long. Uh, Mark probably has short arms. So like even just based if I was to teach two different swings, uh, where we would stand, Mark's taller than me. So if he's taller than me and he has long arms, uh, it's a comfort level of where he wants to stand in accordance to plate. His strike zone's going to be different than mine. So everybody is different. Everyone is completely different. So I, I knew, for, for example, my swing, I had inside-out swing, which meant I like to keep my hands close to my body. And as a result, I did not handle pitches inside very well. Like, I, like my swing just stayed nice and tight, uh, which means I'm almost deflecting it and hitting it to, to center field or opposite field. There's guys like that I had teammates that had really short arms. And, you know, keeping their hands in tight, almost spun them around. So they became a natural pull hitter. So now, uh, you know, a natural pull hitter that spins around with short arms is going to be able to get to the inside pitch and pull it. So they become a natural pull hitter based on their body type. So just starting from there, before we've even gotten into pitch location or what we're trying to do is where you should be starting. That's where we start. Is Every like, guy is different. Every guy is unique. Every person is different, unique strength. My strength is in my legs. Uh, I'm not like incredibly strong for upper body. So like I'm not also, I'm also not very flexible or parts of my body aren't very flexible. So you have to know every single aspect of that before we can even start talking about let's get in the ball in the air. You don't even know what pitch you can get in the air. So that's, that's the problem is when we start, communicating about launch angle and you know like trying to figure it out you got to get to the human level of what that actual person's capable of doing how much bat speed can they create uh how big of a bat can they swing where is their optimal length away from the plate how good is their eyesight how repeatable is their swing mechanics how quickly can they get on time those things matter and, and so you know, to, to get into it, I mean, just, just hearing me just describe, just understanding body type, that's incredibly complex and time consuming. And so like, that's the reason why I think we've, we've gotten a disconnect. And that's why I also believe pitching is so far ahead of hitting right now, because in the last couple of years, because of the pandemic, pitchers have been able to go into a pitching lab and actual work on spin rates, tunneling, layering their pitches on top of each other where a hitter has not been able to go into a hitting lab facing all these different pitchers to get the same results. So pitchers right now, just based on the, the climate of what we've seen in the last four years, are so far ahead of hitters uh, that it's making it really, really hard to hit. You guys make, make me feel like I should never have given up a hit. 
I feel, I feel bad now for giving let anybody get a hit and make as complicated. Well, what do you? You've got to wish. You've got to wish though that you were at some yeah. point, sometimes yeah. that you were, yeah. you were pitching in this era. Yeah. Well, I, there, well, yeah. There's that. Billy, before we turn the page completely on Dave Magadan, I, I want to find out from your perspective what went wrong there because. Obviously, he had a really good start to his career in Boston. Then things went down. Did technology, did teaching methods, did did something just not work with him? Or at every stop he had after Boston, he, things got worse, not better. And I wonder why a guy who was a good hitter, he wasn't a superstar player, but he was a very, very good hitter in, in my era. What went wrong there? And what will Mullins do differently? I don't think anything went wrong. I mean, I, I just think a lot of it has to do with personnel. I mean... Yeah, Dave Magadan isn't hitting. He's not taking his at bats. I mean, True. personnel has a lot to do with it. You, you you have to understand. You know, is is do the Houston Astros have the best hitting coach in the world? Do they? I mean, they, they oh, yeah. have a they yeah, have a, they have they have a team that was designed that has low chase, high contact. But isn't that uh, something a hitting coach is supposed to teach? No. Low how case. do you teach? How do you teach that when it's innate? Like that's that's the problem that I think a, a lot of us have. I could not, Mark, I could not teach you how to hit other than what your skill set allows you to do. So yeah. if you had swing and miss because you're six foot five with a big body and your your swing is slow, I can't teach you to hit faster. I could maybe get you to look for a certain pitch, but I can't teach you how to hit. Hitting's innate. Like that's that's why I get really frustrated. Is I think one of the biggest problems with hitting right now is that the gene pool for who's actually hitting are the wrong types of hitters. Hmm. We, we, we are looking at players that have come from these, um, these, these prospect camps that hit the ball a long way, they look amazing, they're six foot three, they move well, but there's holes in their swings versus some of the best hitters in the sport are five foot nine. They have short arms. Jose Ramirez, you know, hmm. Jose Altuve, Alex hmm. Bregman is shorter than me. Uh, like you, you have to get the guys like Stephen Kwan. Have you ever seen Stephen Kwan? No. He's five foot ten. He's he's tiny. And so, what does this all have to do? It has to do with a smaller strike zone. These guys have the ability to put the bat on the ball. They've always had that since they've been kids, but they don't look the part. It's that whole money ball aspect. But to a level now where we have gotten so in love with the idea of like, oh my god, look at. Look at Mark in his in his uniform. Look how far he hits the ball during during BP. I could just have Spilly teach him how to hit. That's no, that doesn't work. That's not like that's the opposite. What you have to do is find players that can hit, that control the strike zone, and then allow a hitting coach to refine it. That's the difference. And so if if you're gonna continue to just hand me something that say, hey, mold this in, I'm gonna throw it right back at you. Go, dude, I can't. Speaking of speaking of uh, speaking of guys that don't look the part, tomorrow, uh, who do the Rockies let go? Um, I mean, well, the roster's already what down to thirty-four players on the yeah. on the roster. So, yep. I mean, yeah, they've I, I'd have to look at it completely, um, the ins and outs. I mean, if you had to the guess. way I the way the way I would look at it uh, would be arbitration eligible players that you don't think are. I mean, like I don't think Carlos Estevez is coming back. Uh, I I think. There's certain players in the, in the bullpen. Once you start accumulating service time, um, there's enough examples of other teams where that's kind of like the area where you take advantage of non-tenders is, is the bullpen. 
uh, starting pitching you, you always hang on to as long as possible. As far as position players go, um, I can't imagine Garrett Hampson being back. Uh, I think there's 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 examples of you know young players that uh, you can take advantage of platoon splits at this time and age, given the fact that you have service time manipulation that you can still use options. Um, and uh, you know, like one of one of my observations of Coors Field, and I believe it, uh, and I use it for the rest of, of baseball is I've always shied away from thinking center fielders should be free agents or older. I don't believe that. I believe um, center fielders specifically to course field need to be young uh, with the ability to cover cover ground. I could care less if they hit. Uh, and so that's, that's something that the Rockies have in spades are athletic center fielders that run really crisp routes, but you can't worry about their offensive numbers. They had one in CM Hilliard uh, that I felt like was underused, even though his hitting profile was really bad. Um, he would have been an upgrade over anybody in center field, just given his age and his ability to run and run routes. So like that's, that's a spot where I'm in a front office, especially with Colorado. Uh, I would always push them to using sub arbitration, center fielders and almost recycle and then the guys that do hit you push them to the corners yeah um, so, so that way that, it controls the cost a, a guy that seems to fit that 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 mold of um don't worry about the bat the bats a bonus and could cover a ton of ground is uh, trent grisham what do you think about trent grisham because i've imagined trent grisham playing center field at coors and i'm thinking you know he runs into one once in a while too uh, I don't, it depends on the price. I, and I, it's not my money that I'm spending, but uh, I would reallocate. I, again, like I think center field as a, as an organization, there's plenty of examples of, of guys that can go get it that are minor league, you know, major league ready defensively um, that will not, you probably hit them ninth. Um, but I, I think the value of having those type of players at Coors Field where, you know, you're talking run prevention and then you're not worried so much about the offense at Coors because you'll be able to catch up to it. You know, Trent Grisham is a, is a nice name. I've always liked him. He's probably my favorite center fielder. Wow. Uh, but as he, as he gets older, those numbers are, are going to drop down significantly. And when you think about the wear and tear that Coors Field has on your body, that's why I just go back to I would use that spot. I would use center field specifically to the Rockies as a place where you put your best defensive center fielder and just have them go get it. It doesn't sound like you'd be on board with the Brandon Nimmo idea because that's being floated. They might go after Brandon Nimmo. I, I don't like that idea, especially for the cost in the age. He's 29 years old. Um, if you're going to look at him as a corner, then okay, I'll, I'll buy into. Because you'd have to overpay. Yep. Why okay, do you absolutely. have to overpay? That's a, well, no, like no, no. The, what I'm why, saying is, what I'm saying is, well, what I'm saying is, you would have to overpay for Nimmo. Was what I'm saying. To get him. Like if you wanted to get him. So that's another. Why? That's another negative because of the Mets. Because of the Mets. I See? think. I. I think. I think. Like to your point, it's really to your point is what I'm saying. That if you go internally and you have a guy like you said that can cover the ground and you're not worried about the bat as much and he's younger versus a guy who's 29 and will cost you a lot of money. That's what I'm. Yeah, and that's a, really what I'm saying. A, and a compensation pick. Uh, to me, it's not worth it. Uh, I would be looking if, if I'm if I'm looking for stuff. I don't think it, I think you're making trades. I think you're taking advantage of. I think there's a market for um, position players that are available to you, minor league position players that have been almost kind of stagnant. 
based on the pandemic the last couple of years. You could probably find high draft picks that are kind of like on the fence that have had really crummy minor league seasons the last two years. And if you think you can produce position players, that would be a market I would look at. Uh, I would also shy away from, I think a catcher's market would be interesting to me. I think that's that's probably the biggest area of need for the Rockies, even with Diaz. Um, because, you know, Brian Servan, Diaz was not quite the the combo that you would want. But, I mean, Wilson Contreras is also out of your price range. So, I I, I, I think starting pitching, you continue to trade for starting pitching. That's That's been something that you could take advantage of. I think bullpen arms, if you can find arms that are not unique, then you go ahead and do it. Uh, I still like Japanese reliever market, which the Rockies have never done. Uh, they've had a couple really good examples of guys that have done really well. Uh, Sungwon Oh of, of recent memory. And then we've seen Byung Young Kim. So there's, I mean, you got to provide just different looks as hitters, especially at Coors Field. And then uh, look for guys with split fingers. Split finger forcing fastball combos have worked really well at Coors Field. So those would be all like, those would be like my wish list. But as far as like a free agent center fielder, no. Uh, I would not do that. And free agent relievers, I think we've gone down that path way too many times to think that that's a good idea too. We, we mentioned we haven't mentioned Jonathan Daza. He kind of fits the, your description of somebody you want to put in center field. The bat, the bat has been hit and miss, no pun intended, but he does. He is a very good defensive outfielder. Um, yeah, he's good. I, I, I think he's good. I think in the case of Daza, he's he's earned the opportunity. So I mean, that's that's the thing is uh, I think Daza's earned that chance to play center field. Um, he is going to get slower with time. I yep. mean, uh, w- there's just too many examples of it. We have Dexter Fowler, Charlie Blackman. Like, you can go down the whole list. Uh, guys start slowing down. They lose a step playing at Coors Field every single year. So uh, age is against you. So take advantage of what you have in the minor league system. And if you think that Daza still projects as your left fielder or your right fielder, then you continue to let him hit. Um, otherwise, I mean, I think, it's really important that the Rockies tighten up their outfield defense at course. One of the things I've been talking about in terms of changes is the youth movement. I think we were all heartened to see the changes last year, that young guys come up in September, especially get an opportunity. It looks like Tovar will probably be the opening day shortstop. Um, you can see a number of young guys, Toglia could, could make the roster coming out of spring training. Does, is that in your mind, is that good news? Is that something Rockies fans should be excited about? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think Tovar, Tovar has a ways to go. Um, he's still young in his career. There's going to be a lot of adjustments. He hasn't played a full season at the major league level. So there's going to be, you know, like I've seen guys improve a lot defensively. I also think last year we saw the the tail end of a season where he was tired. And I think he was dealing with some injuries. Um, so I didn't see the lateral movement to play shortstop at the, at the highest of levels, like I've seen other shortstops. So um, I'm kind of, my last visuals of him are like, he needs some work. Um, but as far as kind of like that mental fortitude that you need to play every single day, I think he has it. So I, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it, but I, I mean, like, I think, I think you have to be realistic with your expectations of the Rockies next year, given the fact that there's going to be some turnover uh, with, with some of their players and and you're still in the division that is, is so difficult to compete in every single day. So uh, Yes, I'm looking forward to Tovar, but Tovar's next season is going to be a big, big growth year yeah. for him. Is this is is this era of Rockies history now that we're 
trying to figure where we're trying to figure out what this team is, you know, since the departures of Story and Arenado and everything. Is this now are we transitioning into a let the kids play? Hopefully some of them pan out and we'll see from there over the next two or three years. Is that kind of what this is? I, I, I think so. Um, I mean, that's the way I look at it is this one's kind of a, like, is Bouchard going to turn into an everyday player? Um, is Tovar going to turn into an everyday guy? You know, is Tolia your answer at first base? So you, you got those. I'd also like to see uh, some of the starters. Is, is Feltner going to be, you know, is he a dependable starter? What other players in the back end of the bullpen can you build around? Is Justin Lawrence for real? So yeah, there's, there's, there's a bunch of question marks. And then if you, if you figure out an answer in a hurry, then you build around it. Yeah. Uh, Cause you need to you know can... what you've got, right? I mean, that's really just simply the first thing. And then you figure out how to build around whatever that is, if there's something to build around and that could take, it could take two or three or four years. I hope it doesn't take that long. I, I hope, I mean, the, the, the organizations that are the most aggressive when they know that they're in that competitive window usually win faster. So if it takes you too long to realize that you had good players and it's too late. One name we haven't brought up yet who's generated a lot of buzz here in the fall is Zach Veen, the young outfielder that uh, obviously is not quite big league ready yet, but he seems to be on a faster track than a lot of us thought. Is that fair? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's also like I, I always preface this uh, Arizona fall league. You get a, you get a nice little highlight where you get to second base on a play. Like that's yeah. not going to happen at the big league level. So yeah, it makes me excited to see that skill set. Um, but like I, I'm very tempered in my expectations of players, especially when I see it uh, in fall league. I want to see winter ball stats. Uh, winter ball stats is where uh, we've seen money, like massive, massive growth. Just ask Jeremy Pena, uh, the guy. So uh, if you don't think winter ball uh, matters, it does, which is why I get frustrated when I don't see more players wanting to do winter ball. It's usually Latin American players. I would I would strongly stress for um, you know American players to go and, and play winter ball because that really kind of speeds up your process. So falling's great. It's just it's a fake environment and it's a it's it's not real baseball. So it's like spring training. Go play winter ball. If if Veen was doing this in winter ball, then I'd I'd give you a different answer. Hmm. Interesting. You were um, at the World Series. Um, we would be remiss not to talk about that. Um, how how was the um, how was the experience there? Because one thing about the World Series that we that we really enjoyed, I think, was the, the what seemed to be the the hype, the atmosphere for this uh, fall classic. I yep. would say Philadelphia fans uh, were really fun to be around. Uh, that was probably one of the most electric environments I've ever been. I went to Game Five, uh, and as far as the Astros, Astros in in Houston, that fan base really supportive of their team. They're a really good team. I think. Uh, as I watched the Astros kind of played out and, and I was explaining to other people that were asking what I saw, because I followed the Astros throughout the whole playoffs. They are so far above and beyond everyone else right now in major league baseball. The difference, the separation between them and, and other teams is, is really, it's pretty dramatic. Uh, there's just so much, there's so much depth of the organization. There's so much pitching, um, how their position players go about doing their work, the attention to detail, uh, they are they are a really well oiled mach- machine. Is this uh, is this uh, is this their kind of is the scandal past them in a sense now? No, not to a casual fan. Uh, to a casual fan, they'll forever hate the Astros, and I don't blame them for 
the rest of the league looking at them, there's no question that they're beyond the scandal. I mean, they're better than everybody. That's a great point to differentiate the two perspectives there. Yeah, they're, they're I mean, if if you're a fan, you like you'll never get over it, and that's fair. Like that's fine. Um, but as far as you look at when you start you know, seeing a Ryan Stanek coming out and throws what two innings in the, in the postseason instead of franchise record, lowest ERA uh, in team history. Uh, and they had six six arms coming out. They were all different. They had starters like Christian Javier next year is going to be better than Garrett Cole. And everybody's like, who's Christian Javier? I was like, okay, uh, Spencer Strider was number two in rookie of the year yesterday. And uh, Javier's stuff is better than Spencer Strider's. Look it up. Trust me. <laughs> so uh, I think that's the problem that most people have is that we we have gotten so upset with what happened with Houston that we failed to recognize that they are really good. They're, they're beyond good. They're better than everybody. Um, we'll see if how the front office, how the shakeup, if it brings them back a notch. Uh, but as far as like what I saw top to bottom, how they work, they are, they're better than everybody. And they're in a tier by themselves. He's Ryan Spielborgs. He's uh, one of the changes we're not going to see next year. You'll be back in the booth, I'm assuming and broadcasting Rockies baseball. And we're looking forward to that. And, We'll continue to preach patience and uh, a youth movement because I think all Rockies fans can get behind that. I really do. I hope so. All right, Billy. Billy, Thanks. We appreciate your time. Listen to him on MLB Network and follow him next year when the Rockies start spring training in March. We'll see you down there, Spilly. There he goes, Ryan Spielborgs. Manny, um, on that optimistic note, we'll uh, we'll cash it in for today. But you got to have a closer for us, Manny's closer. Listen, we're not 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 a not a free agent signing. Of course, we're not looking for a new reliever here. We got our guy. We got our closer. We go to him next. Stay with us. It's the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast for the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars, past and present. Look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Let the hot stove season begin. The Rockies enter their fourth consecutive offseason in which they're coming off a losing campaign. The expectation last offseason was that the club might make a small move here or there, but nothing big. Then Colorado signed Chris Bryant to a seven-year, $182 million deal, absolutely stunning the baseball world. Are there any huge splashes in store this time around? Well, despite the talk of potentially going after free agent center fielder Brandon Nimmo, it seems he's going to be costly given the Mets would like to keep him right where he is, and there may be demand elsewhere, too. Nimmo is also going to be 30 years old on opening day, and as our guest on this week's podcast, Ryan Spielborgs, told us, an expensive 30-year-old free agent to play center field at Cavernous Coors is risky, to say the least. So what will the Rockies do? Well, what can they really do? This offseason might mostly just be, uh, hey, we have some pretty decent-looking young players, let's see what they can do before doing anything drastic sort of offseason. General Manager Bill Schmid has emphasized pitching, both in the starting rotation and the bullpen, as the primary focus this winter. As has been said a time or two, you can never have too much pitching. Add course to the mix and, well, yeah. But overall, don't set the bar too high for Colorado's offseason, even after the shocking signing of Bryant last spring. Then again, these are the Rockies we're talking about. You shouldn't discount the utterly unpredictable taking place before the games start to count again in 2023. 
Our roster remains unchanged, and our always dependable closer shuts the door on another episode. Our thanks to the one and only Ryan Spielborg for joining us. And remember, you can hear Spilly all off-season long on the MLB Radio Network. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.